Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another great episode of the Tide Chasers podcast, where each show we try to bring you the best guests from across the fishing industry. Before we get started, please remember you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers and listen to us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Waypoint TV. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you listen to our most recent episode with Jack Francisconi, better known as at Tog Dog on Instagram. Kwan and I got a chance to talk with Jack about fishing for Tog, Fluke, and Weak Fish from his kayak in Long Island, New York. Uh, it's a great one if you've never fished with that in that area before. Um, today we have an awesome guest. Before we get started, I'd like to welcome my fellow co-host Bobby. Bobby, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Just got back from a fishing trip, so never better. Yeah, I was gonna say, have you thought out from uh, chasing steelhead yet? No, not even a little bit. And I go back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you had a pretty great weekend with that. It was like a great trip. Once frozen, stay frozen. Well, speaking of great guests um, and wintertime fishing, we'd like to welcome Dwayne Faust of at Reel in the Adventures on Instagram. Dwayne is an incredible angler here in central Pennsylvania. He has our river fisheries dialed in for smallmouth bass, muskie, and many of our other favorite freshwater species here in Pennsylvania. So, Dwayne, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well, guys. I appreciate you having me on the show, on the podcast, and look forward to chatting Sure, absolutely. Dwayne, I know you have a, a huge following on Instagram and now on TikTok. And, you know, you have some of my favorite fisheries dialed in here in freshwater. So I'm glad we could get you on and, and talk to you tonight. But we always start off our episode by getting to know our guests. So uh, can you tell us maybe a little bit more about how you got started in fishing? Dwayne, before you get into that. Go ahead, go ahead. I always have to interrupt before you even start. Because for our listeners that obviously can't see you, your beard is incredible. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. <laughs> and I just wanted to say that because it's a very gritty beard and I love every aspect of it, but they can't see it. So you're going to have to check him out on Instagram if you want to see his beard. Um, anyway, get into how'd you get into fishing now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, appreciate the compliment, my good man. Uh, 
my dad first took me when I was probably him and his buddies used to go. I was probably six, seven. And we would go on the weekends, whatnot. And then uh, we'd go periodically, but it wasn't until I was like 13, 14, my grandpa started taking me every weekend during the week when I wasn't, you know, when I got off of school. So it was really, that's who introduced me to fishing and showed me and taught me several things that I still use, tactics that I use to this day. And then I fished on and off, you know, when I was a teenager. But I didn't really like start full on like, hey, this is something that I love and I'm truly passionate about till I was about 23, 24, 25 in there. And that's a that's a whole realm as to why I started fishing a lot more often, which if you guys care to go over, I'll briefly go over it. Sure. Uh, yeah. If, if that's something you want to talk about, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, to hear so- how people got started. The main, uh, you heard me about my grandpa. Um, I, long story short, I was in a bad way with some worse things. I am, I am a recovering addict, and I realized, you know, when I was younger, my grandpa would, I would get mad or frustrated. We weren't catching fish, and he would always tell me, just sit down, relax, keep casting. That's not what we're here for. And I never really got that. I didn't understand it. And then years later, I, I got sober, went down some very dark roads grateful to be here um and the one day i i had you could call it an epiphany uh I, that awe moment i was sitting there and i was fishing and i wasn't wasn't really ca- catching a lot of fish but it made sense what my pap was trying to instill in my brain at that young of an age is you're not really there for the fish it's much more than just catching the fish there's just a really awesome bonus and it's it helped me with my sobriety and in turn it helped me lose myself but find myself in the same sense so that's why i started doing it more often and then i realized just how that euphoric feeling you get when you're with a friend making memories or alone walking a creek a stream a river and it just i kept going back and it i got okay at it we'll we'll say that I'd say you're more than okay at it, but, but, you know, I think that's a great story of how you, you know, like a lot of us got started in fishing at some point. And for some of us, you know, one way or another, maybe we get away from it for a little while, but, you know, um, and like you were talking about, you know, when maybe tough times hit, um, you know, or we're having a bad day. I know for myself, I'm always thinking about, oh, I wish I was out fishing right now. Cause that would help me forget about, you know, the rough time I'm going through or the bad day. So I think that's a great story and how you circled back to it and, you've really taken it on and become very successful with it. It is. It's, it's, and just like how I met you and the the stories you hear of how people get into it. And it's, you know, it's crazy how it comes full circle and you realize people fish for different reasons, but there's usually that, that common thing that there's a reason you do it. It's to, I guess you could say escape. In a way, it's that, you know, you, oh, I got a rough day. I'm going to go fishing for a little bit. I need to clear my head. I'm going to go fishing for a little bit. And you create some pretty awesome memories that you will remember for the rest of your life. Whether you're catching fish or not, you're going to have a good time with your buddies, your family, yourself. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, in, in some of those days, it doesn't even matter if you catch anything. It's just being out there, 
you know, clearing your mind, not thinking about what's going on, just taking in the sights and sounds, like you said, and like your grandfather was talking about all those years ago. Most of my fishing trips, I don't even remember the fish. Tywin knows his best. When I tell a fishing story, I never talk about the fish. It's <laughs> the last thing on my mind. Um, and actually, this last trip, when we were just steelhead fishing, the story I'm going to tell is we had a net with us, obviously, because you got to land some fish. But the net froze in 10 seconds. So you dip it in the water, and I have an awesome picture of it, and you could, like, wave it around, and then it just froze to form. Didn't even matter I caught steelhead. You should see the picture I have. It's awesome. It's so funny. And that was the moment that kind of defined the entire trip, was freezing our nuts off and the net freezing instantly. And who cares about the 35 steelhead we caught? Because that's what I'm going to remember, right? Just having a good time with your buddies, having some laughs, and the fish are just a bonus, like you said. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, some of my best memories in fishing trips, it's it's the things that go on with the fishing trips. You know, the fish are part of it, but it's more of the whole experience. Um, well, Dwayne, we know that you living in central Pennsylvania, you know, we have the Susquehanna River, right? I mean, it's a world famous river. Um, a lot of different tributaries are flow into the Susquehanna from, uh, you know, up and down its banks, east and west. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what you love about fishing the Susquehanna and your area. Just the diverse species that can be caught of trophy caliber fish. There is so many different species of fish that you can target in a single day. That would probably be one of my favorite things about the Susquehanna River is how many different trophy caliber fish you can catch that it holds. Yeah, I remember you tell me one story about you went from catching a five pound smallmouth to a 40 inch muskie in the same trip. Yeah, that was... um. That was a day I probably, the bait is actually, which the viewers are not going to be able to see it, but the bait is behind me in this fish's mouth because it's retired. Because a lot of people on, on the Susquehanna want to catch either a five pound smallie or a 40 inch muskie. And it just so happened I was throwing my buddy CH Fishing's custom crankbait that he custom paints. And um, we pulled up to an eddy. I made a cast. I was reeling it back and all of a sudden I felt a thump. And I laid into it. My buddy looked at me. He goes, is a good one? I said, yeah. And he went right for the net and it jumped and he looked at me and I'm like, yeah, um, that, that's, that's a good small mouth. And, you know, everyone goes through, you try and stay composed, but sometimes your emotions, it's big fish on the line and you go through everything, you know, how to fight a fish. And, but we ended up landing it. It was five pounds, I think five, almost five five pounds, two ounces, I believe it was. But then, you know, we took some photos, took a little video, released the fish safely because we want them jeans in our river, obviously. And then we, I didn't even make another cast because I sat down and that whole euphoric feeling of catching a five pounder was hitting me. My buddies were still fishing. We sat in the same eddy for probably about 10, 15 minutes. We rolled up to another eddy about hundred yards up the river. I made one, we pulled up to an island point made a single cast parallel with the bank, bringing it back. And all of a sudden it felt like I got my crankbait hit a log. It just didn't move. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then I felt, I don't, if anyone has ever hooked into a muskie, you'll feel a wonderful head shake. And it's something like no other. If you have an experience that I highly recommend it, but it, it head shook and that where we were at, that area is not really known for like muskie of that caliber. 
Like you'll catch a lot of, we call them handlebars, like little 30 inchers, which it's still a muskie. It's awesome. But it came up and my buddy looked at me and he goes, they, what, what is that doing down here? And I'm like, I don't know. Grab the net. And now at the time we're bass fishing, we have a bass net. And if anyone has tried to, and I don't recommend doing this, it's not easy to land a, like a 40 inch fish in a bass net. It's possible. I've done it more than enough, but it came up and now it was, this was last fall. So it was getting cold. The fish was kind con- and this is usually their weather. Like the fit- muskies love cold. They love that cold water. Usually they're snapping, jumping all around. And this fish really didn't do all that. He laid there, head shook, and it just felt like dead weight. But we brought him in. I didn't realize he was that big until he was in the net. We grabbed the net. I grabbed him right away, held him up, laid him on the bump board. He was a little over 40, took some picks right back in. And that was a day I will, yeah, a five pounder and a 40 inch muskie in the same day. That bait is no longer being used. It's up there. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you for retiring it. That's that's incredible. I mean, so many anglers would fish for you know weeks or months or maybe even years to land a five pound smallmouth or a forty inch muskie, let alone do both in the same day. And I can back you up. I've had some experiences of trying to land a, a big muskie in a bass net, and you're right, it doesn't it doesn't work out. It doesn't end well. No, it it it. Uh, we actually have broken, I think, two doing it. And just, you know, just the sheer weight of the fish. And it's, you realize two people have to grab each side of the net and, and, you know, which isn't, it's just. Makes for an interesting time. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. To put it, I'm trying to look for the words and it's like, eh, no, but it's an interesting, that's an easy way to put it. It's very interesting to try and land a fish that big in a small net. For sure. Don't get the right. Um, well, I I know that. Can you, well. No, go ahead, Bobby. I just wanted to orient us a little bit. I mean, I know we're in, you said we're in Pennsylvania, but are we fishing the Sussie, Susquehanna? It's a big river. Up mm-hmm. near Binghamton, New York? Are we where where are we? Give me the stretch that you're mostly focused on. Not trying to spot burn you, of course, but just to say this is just the, the area. And I'm I'm grateful. I I respect that. I'm grateful we did that because I I don't really want to do that. Now, the area I fish, everybody knows. It's just, do they know how to fish it properly or how I fish it, for one? it's Everyone fishes different. So the main stretch that I fish is actually where the west branch and the north branch meet to converge into the main branch. And then we actually have two dams right literally five blocks from my house is the fiber dam. It's the world's largest inflatable dam. If you haven't heard of it, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool sight to see, actually. And it's usually in there. That's where I grew up fishing, and I still fish it to this day. And So it's – I, I mean, it's in Sunbury without – everyone, if you look up Fiber Dam, you're going to see Sunbury Sealands Grove. So that's where I'm at. And it's just – everyone yeah, knows – well, not everyone, I should say. A lot of people know of the area. So it's a well-fished – you know, gets pretty heavily pressured. So I'm not spot burning. And there's, I don't think you can really on rivers at all anyway, because fish move, you know, there's a lot of miles on that. It ain't no lake or anything. Right. But, uh, you know, I just want to know, give a sense of where we were. I mean, so you're over there, Lewisburg area, essentially, right? Yeah. I fish, I have fished there plenty of times. 
Gotcha. Yep. Cool. And uh, yeah, you're, you're, I, to go off of what you said, you're right. There's been days where we'll go to the same spot, don't catch a single fish. The next day we go down to the same hole and we're putting 30 on the bank. So, you know, it's, there's so many moving parts to a river that, you know, you got to figure out what they're eating. And that's a whole story in itself. But I absolutely agree with you. It's, there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to a river. So it's constantly a lot of new fish. Now I have now a little side story. I have caught the same fish a couple of times actually, which it's that there was the one year me and my little brother went out and we were below one of the dams and he caught a fish and caught a, it was like a, I think it weighed a half pound, but it's right. eye was completely gone. Oh geez. We, we took a pick, put it back in net the next year. I caught the same fish in the same exact spot and we knew it because he one eye I weighed him. He weighed about four ounces more. Really? We, that, at that point we nicknamed him one eyed Pete because he had one eye and it was just, <laughs> it, it was just, and then I don't know if the dates, it was like a, a whole fiscal year, but it was in the, around the same time frame that the fish was caught. I think it was early June, two years go by. And my cousin actually caught the same fish a little bit lower, same section. It was a little, it wasn't the same exact area, but he sent me a pic the one day he goes, you'll never believe it. And it was one eyed Pete, the same fish, but it weighed four pounds. So it goes to show you take care of the fish. Catch and release is awesome. Yeah. That's wild to hear that that same fish was caught three times. I know. I think I've only ever had the experience of there's one place where I fish for smallmouth, And I know that, I'm the only person I've ever seen fish in that area. And I caught a smallmouth once. And then like a week later, I caught what I'm pretty sure was the same smallmouth because I still saw the mark in its upper lip from where I had taken the hook out previously mm-hmm. before I released it. So, yeah, that's pretty wild to hear that the same fish was caught three times. And and it wasn't like because I know, I mean, there is that's a whole subject bed fishing. It's a whole subject in itself. Uh, it was a little too early for that yet. Cause the water temps were in like the forties. So I know they weren't on where we were at. They, that's not where they bed. So it was just, I know for certain it wasn't a bedded fish that it, it was caught, you know, because there's been time I got friends and I, I don't get me wrong. There's times I I'll throw out a fish on a bed. I do do it. And I don't sit there and repeatedly catch the same fish day, you know, but I have done it. And if you take care of the fish properly, you can literally watch that fish swim back to the bed. Yep. I've seen it happen before. Not that I do it much myself either. It's more kind of just been, you know, circumstance working in an area and all of a sudden one comes off a of bed and hits the lure and, uh, you know, you let it go and you watch it go right back after a couple minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I don't, I don't, it's not intentional. A lot. Like you said, now there has been times where I'll, I'll see a fish on a bed and I'll be like, well, let's see if we'll eat and I'll cast in his general area. And they're so aggressive that it it don't matter what you do, they're coming after your bait. And it's, yeah. it's nature. very tempting. Yes, it is. It is. And I mean, there's been plenty of studies shown on what bed fishing does to a fishery. Does it hurt it? That's a very controversial subject in itself. Like we could talk about that for four hours if we really wanted to. <laughs> but all the studies I've shown on our river and several of the great lakes it hasn't hurt the population that i've seen in my lifetime and now granted i'm only 35 but there's been people fishing this river for how long 
centuries. Long time. So, I mean, I think if the ecosystem can support it, I, I'm not saying go go bedfish. I'm not saying not what I'm saying. Don't take me the wrong way. But if it, the ecosystem can support it, I don't think you're going to cause that much damage. That's that's what I will say on it. How do you like but to I'm do wrong. most of your fishing? Do you, do you like to fish from shore or do you like to fish from a boat mostly or is it a little bit of both? So I grew up walking the bank, walking in the water. So that's where, you know, my roots are. And I'll, I'll, I'm a firm believer. I'll never forget where I came from. What, you know, so I love walking the bank in the water, wet, wet wading, even in my waders, it don't matter. So I love fishing from the shore. It's just that it, I feel more connected, I guess you could say with nature and the fish. Now, don't get me wrong. If I do have a little John boat, I very seldom use it. Most of the time, if I do go out on a boat, it's one of my good buddies. And I, but if I had to answer, I would rather fish from shore all day. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that's one of the most impressive things about when you look at your Instagram page. You know, you see all these catches of of great fish, and a lot of them you're standing on the bank, you know, and you're catching hot quality smallmouth and muskies and walleye and other fish too, and you know, I, I tend to agree when I fish the rivers a lot, as long as it's safe to do it, I wade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I guess the boat on the river is just a little bit of an unfamiliar environment for me. So I, I tend to agree with you. I do feel connected when I'm out there wading the stream. That's see, that's the big thing. And, you know, don't ever go wade in an area you don't know that first and foremost. But the air, the area I've grew up fishing, I know it better than I know the back of my hand. Like, so I can walk to certain areas and. I get that a lot. Like how you're catching these big fish from the bank. Well, you got to know what the fish are doing, where they're at, their patterns, what they're going to eat. I try and do as an angler, I try and do everything in my power to set myself up to succeed in any, whatever species I'm going after. And that's it. it, It's not just me doing it that I got several friends, family members that have taught me several things and fellows like you fellow anglers that have taught me things. And I take it all into consideration do a little bit of research. Where am I at? There's, there's been times where like for work, we actually went up way up past, I think Clark summit, like way up North further, like three hours from me for work. And the Susquehanna was there. And I, we, I knew we were staying for the week. Of course I'm taking my fishing pole. Like we're that close. I'm taking my fishing because we come back from work. We're at the hotel. And there was a little, I forget the name of the Creek. I couldn't tell you if I even wanted to, but there was a little creek and I'm checking it out. You know, I'm Google mapping it. That can be your best friend. If you're ever looking for new, new spots, Google map stuff, make sure it's not private land. First and foremost, yeah, that, um, that is good advice. <laughs> <laughs> ask. That is one thing to not get too far off. This. Ask, ask permission because that's going to get you a lot further than getting caught on someone's property. Cause nine out of 10 times, most people are going to be like, yeah, and especially if you're catching release fishermen, they're not going to care. As long as you're not leaving your garbage lay around, they're going to let you fish or walk through their property. I've definitely learned that as I got older. But we were up there anyway. We were staying at this hotel. And, of course, I was with three of my buddies working. They're like, uh, now my cousin that I work with knows how much I fish. And they, of course, they like to make they like to make a little couple bets. And they're like, well, are you going to catch any fish? I said, I don't. I've never fished up here. I don't know. So I said, you guys do what you want. I'm going down here to see what's down here. 
Well, I walked, I don't know, probably a mile of the creek down to the where it met the river, the mouth of it. And I, I ended up, it was crystal clear. It was late summer. So I already kind of figured what they were going to eat. I ended up throwing a weightless fluke. And literally, I walked underneath a bridge, my first cast, right next to the bridge pier. I caught a two-pound smallie. And I'm like, if this is, it, I ended up catching, I think, 15, 20 fish walking this little stretch and it was really cool to go to a different area but based off of what i've already known like what they're going to eat where they should be and you, you take that and you learn every time you're out fishing and i did that and it was just it was a very humbling experience to be able to go to a spot that i've never been to and catch fish and put a pattern together and be like all right now that don't happen every time that's not that's textbook stuff there's been times where i've did that before and it was, I'm just that guy standing on the bank looking at the water. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been that guy a fair number of times, even in my home waters. Yes. Uh, um, see, and that's uh, to go off of that. Like you uh, now everyone see, everyone has a highlight reel of big fish or really memorable catches. What people don't see. And I, I share this often is the times I'm out and I'm not catching any fish or I'm catching the little, and don't get me wrong. I love the little baby guys. I love the dinks. I love them just as much. That's the future. But there's plenty of days where I'm going, I'm, I'm out there and I'm like, what am I doing? Am I, I'm throwing the whole tackle box at them. Do I even know how to fish? Like, and that happens more often than not. It's just, you do it enough. You learn things and you can catch some good fish and have a good time. So those yeah. are the behind the scenes days. Yes. That's, that's the, we'll call that the C rule, not the B rule. Exactly. <laughs> Well, we're in winter time right now. Um, you know, for a lot of our fisheries, things are slow, but not impossible to catch fish. So what are some of the opportunities that are out there for wintertime river fishing? You know, for those of us that we get a day where it's, you know, not too bad out, we want to maybe get out and, you know, wet a line for a little bit. What are some of the opportunities that we have here for uh, river fishing in central PA wintertime? So there is central PA, uh, Wintertime fishing. First and foremost, if you don't know what patience is, you're going to need it. That is key. If you don't have patience, you might as well stay at home and play video games or watch TV, play with your kid, do something. Because patience, that's one thing that I've learned in the wintertime. But now when it comes to areas, that is, you can't catch, my pap taught me this, and I live to it, to the, you can't catch a fish that's not there. That is one thing that I've learned. So if you're not around fish, obviously you're not going to catch them. And I, I mean, that's a little biased because you, you know, like obviously you want to catch what you want to be around. Them. Do you know you're around them? You never know. So don't be afraid to try new spots. But as for looking for spots, I'm going to the slowest water I can find eddies, slack pools, or tips of islands can be very good in the winter. Or even like we touched on earlier, Creek mouths, because, and I think, I'm not going to say I know this for certain, but a lot of times in the winter, smallmouth will pull up into creeks because the water temperature is more stable than the river is. It's not so much because, you know, the wintertime you get a lot of melts, snow melts and rain. It, the water's constantly fluctuating water temperature, the rise is dropping. So I think that's why they tend to push into creek mouths. So if you're around any creek mouth, go fish it. That's probably the number one piece of advice i have go to creek mouth because most of the time there's fish there 
and and be, and be patient, right? And be patient. See that the whole patience thing. And there, there, this is something I've been realizing over the years. And it's, it's not just in my area. It's every section of the river wintertime, the bottom, what is on the bottom of the river itself, that the area you're fishing. So the best that I found for me personally is you want a mud bottom mixed with boulders. Now, obviously you can't always see into the water, so you, you can't tell if that's what you're fishing, but if you fish it slow enough, if, you, if you're, you know, you're running a jig, you'll be able to tell like, Hey, I'm in mud. I'm in soft stuff. That is what like in an eddy you want a picture perfect eddy. If you pull up and it's nice 30 by 40 foot eddy and it's, you can see mud along the bank and then there's scattered rock. There's going to be small mouth there. And same with like Island points. I think the reason eddies and island points are so big for wintertime is because of the slack water fish can set off they don't have to exert much energy and it's literally a conveyor belt if you think about a current seam that river's constantly flowing it's just bringing the food to them so they they're just and they can just pick food off set right back up don't have to do much because it's the wintertime they don't want to exert they don't want to be swimming all over the place and to the patience thing there has been times where I've been to spots I've caught hundred thousands of fish out of and I'll fish it for hours and won't catch a single fish. And then uh, I'll make a bait change or I'll, I'll my presentation on how I'm fishing. I'll change it up because it, it's a rule of thumb. The fish will tell you how they want it. So try different techniques that, you know, and if there's fish around, hopefully you get bit. That's one thing I found out is to try different things, different ways, because there's days where I'm out winter fishing and literally the patience thing. There's times I'll cast out and I'll let it set like I'm almost catfishing and it literally like pretty much dead sticking like a Ned rig or a tube. That's my go to baits for anyone wondering in the winter is a Ned rig or a tube. You really can't go wrong because you got to fish slow patience again. And there's times where they don't want it moving at all. Literally let it set there. Maybe a little drag. You want each cast bare minimum three to five minutes. And um, if you, the minute you think you're fishing slow enough, fish even slower. And that's my good friend, Bobby taught me that. And it ring. I mean, I got so many of my buddies that gave me little pointers and you think you're fishing slow enough. It's, it's not in the winter. You just, you got to fish slow and it's, it's painstaking. It, it's, it can eat at you. It can eat at you, but the winter time is when you're going to catch the giants. I will say that. So if you have the patience, you have, if you have the determination to want to catch fish in the winter time, go out and do it. Cause what's the worst that's going to happen. You're going to learn from your mistakes if you don't catch any fish or you're going to learn something good and then proceed to use it in, you know, a future day. Yeah. I think that was a great breakdown. You know, like we said, wintertime fishing, it can be tough, but like, you know, like you said, it's a time where you can be rewarded with giant fish and you can also maybe learn some things that you can use in the future where you can at least cross it off and say, yep, tried that. Didn't necessarily work out very well. Absolutely. I like so what your grandpa with- said. You can't catch fish if they're not there. And my my dad would always say, you can't catch fish from the couch. 
So I think that is the two things about winter fishing. You got to go. You know, I know it's cold out and it's painful, but it's awesome out there. It's usually quiet. There's no one around. You got rivers all to yourself. And it is a time when the big fish usually eat the best. So you can't catch from the couch, but you also can't catch them if they're not there. So you got to go find them. I, you are, you're spot on. You're spot on because there's, you know, and there's times where I've walked to, I've fished nine, 10 different hole, you know, spots that I know are hold fish. And it's, you got to put in the work. The wintertime, you have to put in the work to catch the fish. It's that simple. If you want to catch fish, you're going to have to walk and be out in, you know, there's times where we're out and it's with the wind chill, it, the real feels negative four. Now dress for dress for success. As they say, make sure you're prepared to be out in those types of conditions in the winter. That's for sure. Yeah. It's going to make it a lot more enjoyable if you are, that's for sure. You know, it might be kind of bulky, especially if you're wearing waders and all that. And, I know I hate fishing with gloves. I don't feel like I have the right grip on the rod or anything like that, but it definitely makes it more enjoyable. And if you're not thinking about the cold then you're able to focus on fishing slow and trying some of those different things a little bit better than if you're freezing. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree because that's, and that's, you know, one of the people's, the whole glove thing, because that took me a while to get used to, because you're, I, I agree with you. It's like, I'm, am I holding the rod right? Am I going to feel the bite? There's several aspects to it, but I found a pretty good pair and they're actually construction work gloves that I've found that have been the best and they keep my hands warm and they do the job. Nice. Well, let's talk about some of those big fish that you catch out of the Susquehanna. Um, I know that smallmouth are probably one of your favorites. You have lots of pictures of big smallmouth on your Instagram. Um, what makes them one of your favorites and how do you like to target smallmouth? What makes them my favorite? the way they do not stop fighting they even when you have them in your hand they're still scrappy they're still fighting the way some of the depending on what lore you're throwing how hard they hit if i was to sum it up it would be the way they fight because you're getting awesome acrobatic jumps you're getting fish that are pulling drag trying to get doing everything in their power to spit that hook and get off they know something's not right that hands down, that's what keeps me back to smallmouth. Now, yes, they're prevalent in our river. It's the main fish that's there. The population is awesome. So, yes, I'm going to target them. But that's my true love for them came from their fight. Because if you look at them, I mean, even if you take a pound and a half smallmouth, it's, it's a small fish, compared, depending on the fishery. It's a small fish, but he's still going to fight with everything he has. And me personally, I love, I love the little guys. I love the underdogs. So he, you know, smallmouth are them underdogs that everyone looks at him like, oh, it's just a little fish. Well, in my opinion, if you were to take a two-pound smallmouth and literally tug a war it, like tie a string from tail to tail to a four-pound largemouth, that smallie's going to pull that largie around. That's just my opinion. Take it for what it is, but their fight is what keeps me going back to them that's for certain no i agree with your opinion smallmouth do fight hard i mean i know they don't get giant like a muskie or anything but to me it's a smallmouth bass is one of the best if not the best fighting fish in freshwater mm-hmm. that is, yeah i um there i've been told now obviously 
he can answer this. I've been told steelhead fight pretty good for freshwater fish. I have yet to target them. So we'll pass the ball to him. Yeah, Bob, you want to weigh in? I mean, to me, there's no contest. <laughs> if you put a steelhead next to a, a, a smallmouth, I mean, the steelhead is going to bulldog the crap out of that. I mean, the speed and the acceleration is really what gets me with steelhead, um, which I know smallies move pretty quick, but a steelhead, you'd be surprised at how quick that thing moves. And you know instantly. I mean, you hook a steelhead and you're in your backing three seconds. You're being drugged down the river. Um, by far, I think the most powerful fish. I mean, some would say king salmon too are up there. Um, I think king salmon are really strong because a lot of times you don't hook them in the mouth. And when you don't hook a fish in the mouth, they really have the advantage. But for me, steelhead, you got you got to try it. I'll change your mind about smallies, I think, if you hook into a steelhead. Yeah, that's true. And, I guess I didn't really think about the steelhead because I haven't caught one yet. But Yeah, we, we do it on the fly too. So, I mean, you got – they really got control of you, not the other way around. Now, now let me ask you this, because I've been told that, and I have buddies that go up to, you know, the Salmon River every year. They go for the salmon, Lake Run Browns, all that. If you were to take, because people say that pound for pound, smallmouth are the best freshwater fighting fish. If you were to take a pound steelhead that weighed one pound and put it up next to a one pound smallmouth, what fish is going to win that fight? Okay, I I might give you the smallmouth on that, but I mean, in the Salmon River where it's a fast flowing river, mm-hmm. I mean they can't dig. I mean smallmouth usually like to dig deep. They usually go down a little bit and they like to dig in that slower water. I think in a river, I think maybe the, the steelhead still's got you beat. I really do. So now, what's what's the typical depths that you're you're fishing up there for them steelhead? I mean, we're waiting all the time. So, I mean, we're not up past our waist. Um, so we're fishing in three, four, five feet of water. Um, I mean, but you also have to take into account. I mean, I'm saying this right now and, and I'm thinking about it. I might backpedal a little bit because we're fishing in fast current. Mm-hmm. So we're fishing with a, a fish in fast current that not only uses the weight and its speed, but it also uses the river to an advantage, right? So maybe pound for pound if you put them up side by side in the same exact conditions your smallmouth might win but where you find steelhead it's just incredible the power and the speed that they have there's only one way to settle this i'm calling i'm calling wwe instead (laughs) of a giant steel cage we're going to get a giant aquarium we're going to put a smallmouth and a steelhead in it there's going to be a briefcase with money in it i mean the, the answer is only four hour drive away let me just put it that way. <laughs> hey, hey, I would. I, I, I've had several, you know, of my buddies. Hey, let's go. And I, work's been crazy, but I, I there's definitely going to be a point in time where I go for steelhead because, yeah, like, yeah, like you know, they are uh, one heck of a fight. But the reason I asked you about the depth is because, and you hit it spot on. A fish fighting in current, using that current to its advantage, is a whole different realm compared to fighting it in in slow non-existent moving water so but the section i actually fish we're lucky if we find eight feet of water 10 feet of water so it's for the most part it's a shallow river where i'm at now you go to you go down towards harrisburg you know there's obviously 
gigantic holes, but up where I'm at, it's pretty shallow. Yep. Yep. And then how do you like that, to target the smallmouth in that shallow water? What what was that? I said, how do you like to target your smallmouth in shallow water? It depends on the time of year. Give me give me a time of year and I'll tell your, you. My- well, we'll go with uh what is your favorite time of year? And then how do you like to target the smallmouth? Favorite time of year would have to be that's that's a, that's a good one. Spring or fall, because if you catch them early enough in the spring, they're usually that's when you'll you'll break your personal best. And same with the fall, because they're getting that fall feed on. But I would have to say fall, because in the fall you can pretty much target them any way you want to, because they're just in that mode of I gotta eat. I know what's coming, cold weather, so I know I gotta eat. And it's that whole feast or famine. They're usually feasting. And if I had to choose a lure that I could throw, if I could throw it all every day, 365 days a year, it'd be a spinnerbait. I just love the way they smack a spinnerbait. And it's just, they're so, they're a lot more versatile than people think. Like most people think you just throw it out. And yes, you can just throw it out and reel it straight back. Works phenomenal. But I have learned that slowing up, you know, your retrieve, giving it pauses, letting it just flutter down. There's all different kinds of stuff. And you can literally burn it across the top of the water and see awesome eats from smallmouth, which most people, most bass fishermen are going to say top water, which who doesn't love to see any fish smack top water. I do just as much as the next guy. So that would, but definitely a spinnerbait. That would be my favorite way. Cause you can cover a lot of water. You can find those fish. That's, that's key finding the fish you know as my man said earlier you can't catch them from the couch or if they're not there you got to yeah, go out there and that's a good it's a good search bait is what i'm getting at spinner bait definitely it's a great bait for covering water i don't i have some spinner baits i can't say i fish them enough but um i do remember that the first big smallmouth that i ever caught in a river one of my first times waiting was a smallmouth on a spinner bait and it, it just crushed it, like you said. So, um, yeah, I probably should fish some more. That that's it gives me a good idea now as I get prepared for the spring. You got a favorite color in mind? Yes, if I do. It, if it ain't chartreuse, it ain't no use. Uh, so now you'll give me credit. Sexy Mouse by War Eagle. Now, I don't know if I will try and describe that the best I can. I was going to say, well, thank you for the compliment. That's nice. <laughs> Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're handsome. I'll get, I'll get, you got to work on the for the beard out, my guy. Though that's all. It's all. Yeah, mass. I know. Yeah, I'm not a sexy mouse yet. Understood. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so the the color of it now, it's two willow blades. I love two willow blades, gold and silver. Um, the color is a shad color. It's silver with a little bit of white, and at the tail of it, the longer strands are actually chartreuse. And I'm not like the only real time I'll throw chartreuse is if I'm targeting walleye. That's just how in our river they walleye love chartreuse. I know you can catch some. I've seen people catch smallies on chartreuse, little twisters, crankbaits, whatnot. But spinner, I'm definitely going with, or even the mouse, just the regular mouse, which is just a typical shad color, just gray with a little. It's just that's it's a shad color, and that's the prevalent bait fish in our river. So that's pretty much it. So you don't switch it up depending on, you know, 
Uh, I mean, at least in those systems by me, you know, I usually fish a shaddish color for most of the season. Um, but then when the crawdaddies come out, I usually switch to like a reddish brownish color, you know, uh, and back to shad. And then maybe you throw something real weird, something just bright and white, right, for a long time. So, I don't that, know. No, you, go ahead. That's not um, – I didn't mean to interject there. Um, depends on the watercolor will be big time sexy mouse and mouse work really good in cl crystal clear water that it's a that but if it if the water's stained i'm obviously going to go darker and there is reasons for that it's easier for the contrast of the color so if it's muddy water i'm going dark i'm going black and blue june bug of that nature which they do make spinner baits in that and they're phenomenal because you want and i'll usually go with a Colorado blade instead of the willows because it's a more of a thump. It's more of a, hey, it's going to catch that fish's attention, mess with their lateral lines and get their attention. So, And in the springtime, I will actually throw a red crawl color because that's usually when our crayfish start to get active. So I'll go with it. I think it's called, well, well actually, there's a local guy that makes them. Uh, it's, he calls it sunburnt orange and it's orange and black and it's phenomenal in the springtime yeah i can't say how many cool. uh, how many smallmouth i've caught that you know i catch the smallmouth i'm taking the lure out of its mouth and i look down into its throat and there's still half a crayfish sticking out of it you know mm -hmm. or there's a tail of a minnow or a shad or something sticking out of the throat of the smallmouth um, there's a go ahead buddy I will say, no, I'm just going to throw you off topic. I just like to interject with dumb things because I wanted to look at the sexy mouse color. So I just did a quick Google search for sexy mouse. Mm -hmm. Did not find spinner baits come up first. Uh, mostly it was computer mice. And then there was some people dressed as sexy mice. So it was a little disturbing. <laughs> uh, so for all our listeners, you have to put in sexy mouse spinner bait. War, e War Eagle is the color. Yeah, that's actually the first one that came up. So, well, I'm glad you learned that lesson for us, Bobby. So, we, just we didn't have to learn that. Yeah, I had to educate myself there. <laughs> it's like the first time you tried to go to dicksportinggoods.com and you forget the sporting goods part. It's a real yeah. eye opener. Oh, yeah. Geez. We all, it's a good, good lesson. So, uh, Tyler, you were going to say about, you know, the crawfish. Now, obviously, if our fish aren't eating, you know, emerald shiners, stuff of that nature they're eating crawfish because there's they're all over in our river so that is one color this is actually the bait which i know the viewers you guys can't see it but it's my buddy ch fishing custom paints these puts vmc hooks on them i know it's a little shameless plug but my man's baits work i wouldn't vouch for him if they didn't work you can also find him on instagram i love him you're welcome cam um but you can see that's not just hook rash I don't know how good you can actually see it. Yeah. Oh, I can see the paint is pretty, pretty well worn off of like a little bit on the top. And then also like about the mid to bottom section of it, where the color change starts that, on the lore. He actually named this for you guys that can't see it's ketchup and mustard. It has a yellow bottom and then the sides are red and it's got a crawfish. Pad. This was actually the first one he ever painted two years ago, I believe. And he gave it to me because he messed up a little bit. He's like, I don't want it. I messed up. And 
I got it, and it's a bait that will never leave my hands. <laughs> yep, I've got it's my favorite done. smallmouth baits that are in my box, and you know, I'm I'm running through the same ones every time I go out because I know they're fish catchers. Yes, yeah. that's that, and see, go ahead, buddy. No, 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 I was just gonna say that that color pattern really looks like the Rapala red crawdad, just a little mm-hmm. variation of it with a yellow body, just for our listeners that can't see anything. There you go. There you go. That's I. I'm glad you said that because I always yeah for you guys that can't see um now tyler you're you know you touched on every lore that you go through one thing that i will say about bass fishing confidence is key in any bait i mean that's fishing in general not just for bass you got to have confidence in the bait you're throwing that's one thing i have learned because there's been days where i'm next to two of my buddies and we're all throwing the same thing you know, just for instance, a green pumpkin tube and one of us is slaying the fish and the other two aren't. If you don't believe that that I, it's, this is a little left field, but if you don't believe that that lure is not going to catch fish, believe that you can catch fish and the fish is going to eat it and it will help you. And it's, it's a little, I know don't, don't come at me people. But it's it works. Just no, try it. I agree with that 100 percent because I think whether it's you know whether you're throwing a soft plastic or a lure or you know even if you're fly fishing with something it with whatever you're doing if you don't if you've got it in your head that you think this isn't going to work mm-hmm. well then it's not going to work because most of the time you're just fixated then on this idea that it's not going to happen it's not going to work okay maybe you get proven wrong but more times than not in my case I find that. It would just be more productive if I switch to something that I think is going to, you know, bring me more confidence because then I'm going to be paying a little bit closer attention to what I'm doing with it and not just going through the motions. Absolutely. See, and that, that, that's the thing is that, that confidence in it. And if you want confidence in a bait, tie that bait on your pole and don't bring anything else with you. That's the quickest way to learn confidence in a bait. And I've learned that. Unfortunately, it takes time going out and not catching a single fish and watching your buddies catch fish or you're not catching any, but it will, eventually you'll gain that confidence. Be like, I can throw this and it, it, it might get bit. There's no guarantee in fishing. We all know that anyone that fishes, but you definitely want to do, like I said earlier, set yourself up to be successful. And there's, we, we all have those uh, key baits that we love to throw. Definitely. And speaking of confidence in baits, if you're catching musky or if you're targeting musky, you got to have a lot of confidence in your baits. And I know that musky fishing is something that you have been very successful at as well. Uh, you know, in a relatively short period of time, I maybe I want to sh- shift gears now. Let's talk a little bit about musky fishing on the river and you can tell us a little bit more about some of your experiences with the fish of 10,000 casts. I, 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 first off, I will say that I don't know hardly anything about musky fishing. <laughs> I'm very new to it. About three or four years, I actually bought three, four years ago, I bought my first actual musky setup. So I don't, there's guys that know way more knowledge than I do. I just happen to, they are really fun fish to catch. They are a headache. First off, (laughs) they are very elusive. As you said, fish of 10,000 cast. So there was, I forget, I couldn't, I think it was 2020. I ended up catching, I actually kept count. 29 musky in one year that's a good year and but listen this is this is the kicker seven of them i was actually targeting musky 
most of the time I'm bass fishing and end up catching them. And that, that, that right there, see, that's what sprung, you know, how we touched earlier about, you know, the muskie guys are real big on it. Like they don't like to see, cause obviously you don't want to be underprepared for a fish, <clears throat> but you know, after talking people, they eventually understand like where I'm at, there's a pretty good population of muskie. It's going to happen. So as long as you take care of that fish, you're not going to cause it no harm. Like obviously you don't have it out of the water for 85 minutes and be sitting there kissing it, making love to it and then put it back because there is delayed mortality. It is, it happens. So, but as for me, you know, wanting to target them, I had a really good buddy, Danny Whitmer, that that's all he does. He's the one that planted that seed in me. He's like, Hey bud, I'm going to, we went actually down towards Philly. There was a lake. I can't remember the name of the lake, but they tar they uh, stock tiger muskies in it. Mm -hmm. I, oh. I fished this lake on my boat. Tyler knows. It's yep. only, it's the, it's the one that's only trolling motor. Yes. I don't want to, we don't have to mention it, but yeah, you know what lake I'm talking about. Yep. I know exactly what lake you're talking about. Every muskie I've ever caught has come out of that lake. I can say it's not the secret lake. We can say the lake. <laughs> <laughs> but we went down there. And we fished all day. We were throwing all kinds. And it was late summer. It was the dog days of summer, which it, the water temp was, don't come at me, musky fishermen. It was below 78. Okay. I know. It was, I think, 74, somewhere in there. And we were throwing bucktails, top water, all kinds of different stuff because we didn't see a single fish all day. And then the sun started dropping. And my buddy put on, I, you know, picking it up and this is another thing you can take to any fish you're targeting this is a new body of water for both of us i'm seeing perch all along the bank there's perch all over down there mm -hmm. a lot he, of perch. Has, he has a big crankbait a musky crankbait that's perch i'm like buddy put that on throw that out there and we went to where the one creek comes in where there's all those stumps are mm -hmm. there's a bunch of stumps for the viewers that don't know where we're talking about and there's a creek mount that comes in. We're there and he's, you know, we're casting up into it. And he's, we're running our lures right by the logs. And all of a sudden I see him lock up and I'm like, is that a fish? And he goes, I don't think. And then two seconds later, I hear this. <clears throat> and I look up and I'm like, yeah, that's a fish, buddy. That's a fish. And it was hectic because the fish came right at us, went under the boat, came back under. We ended up netting it. It was a 44 inch tiger, dude. Wow. Yeah, that's a big one. Like he, that first off, his pure musky PB was only 36 at the time. And to catch a tiger of that size, I was like, and he knew it. I knew it. Like everyone dreams of catching a tiger musky, let alone a, a 20 incher, let alone a 44. That was like a barrel. It was just, but it was a, the perfect ending to a very, it just goes to show you got to put the time in for musky. Like it, Hands down, time on the water is the best advice I can give to anyone that wants to get into musky fishing. Go be on the water, make as many casts as you can. Yeah, definitely. The more the more casts you make, the more you're going to up your odds. You know, I would say don't be afraid to try new things as well. Um, and mm -hmm. just that's that's one where you're just going to have to go out and you're just going to have to explore and figure something out. And when you do, you try to repeat it. You know, yep. again and again, and see if it works and even then you might go out one day and it works and the next day it doesn't. And two times later it does again. It's just, it's a humbling fishery. 
it, it, it dude, Muskie have humbled me more times than I care to admit. Because there's times where we have traveled to Pimatuming, like all over, like hours on the road and didn't see a single fish. And then, and I've done this with smallmouth. Like we'll go to different parts of the river and it's like, I'm very blessed to have what I have in my backyard. And we went, we actually went, me and Danny Whitmer, the, my buddy I was talking about, we went to, he knew a guide down in West Virginia. We went down and fished the new river and it was hands down the best experience I ever had. Cause now he, he was an older fellow, really laid back, really awesome. Like made us feel real welcome, comfortable that Southern now it's not, I guess you could call it Southern hospitality. Cause West Virginia he was, we were pretty far down there, but he, needless to say, he welcomed us with the open arms. He took us out and this was when I, I didn't really know, which I still don't really know about muskies, but he's like, here, take this bait and throw it. And it was a big crankbait that was like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the horn nose chubs. It, yeah, they're, I think I they're, have. Mm-hmm. They're brown. They have like a brownish tint to them. And, and pre- that's what it looked like. And it was a bit like, dude, it was, it was like a 12 inch bait. And I'm like, oh, this is some of the size of the fish I catch. What am I doing? Like, and we went up to this, up to, it was like a waterfall. We go up and I'm making cast and we get down around this bend and he goes, Hey, this is musky alley. One of you guys are going to get a chance. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get in my head. Cause that's the worst thing a fisherman can do is get in your own head. But I just kept casting. And now obviously on the guide side of it, I could see, cause you're taking out most of the time you're taking out people that are new to fishing. They don't, you know, the whole casting, whatnot, where to go, how to cast. But he's seen that I knew how to cast and whatnot. And I made like, it was textbook right next to a log, this little tiny eddy, a break in the water. And I start bringing it out. And I've always heard these stories of, you know, figure eight fish, musky eats boat side. And I've never seen one because when I catch them on the river, I don't know until it jumps in the air or it's not moving until it's a musky. And I'm bringing this lure in. And he says, all right, now when every time you're coming up the boat, make sure you at least do like an L. You don't necessarily have to do a figure eight. If you can't do a figure eight, just do a circle. Just keep the bait in the water because there could be a late follower. Well, I'm bringing this lure in. I bring it right next to the boat. And all of a sudden, I just see this mouth open up right beside the boat. I set the hook and I go, I got one. And he goes, yes, you do. And I think it was a 42. And it was literally a half hour into the trip. And I'm like, this gentleman knows his fish. And I, I his name's Bo, but he's very well known down in that area, has won a lot of tournaments. He's, but I, I actually think he's done guiding, but. We fished that same stretch. My buddy ended up catching like a 38 the same day. And then I caught a 34. And then we were only going to go for one day. But then he he called us that night. He's like, look, boys, there's another spot I want to go to. It's about 45 minutes from here. You down. Well, we were staying in the hotel. I'm like, yeah, we're, yeah. You just, you know what I mean? Like, it was well worth it. Well, we're going. Now, I don't know if any of you boys ever been to West Virginia or any of you viewers. Now we live in Pennsylvania. We see mountains and we think, Oh, these are big mountains. Go to West Virginia. Once you'll see actual mountains because it's just ridiculous. The size of the mountains down there, but we go down this, as they call them down there, a little hauler, a little back road Valley, as we call them up here. 
But it literally seemed like we were on this road for two hours because it was just a tiny little dirt road down in the middle of nowhere. And um, we pull up to the river. It's a tiny little private launch. We get on. And my second cast, I caught a 46. Jeez. It was like, he, I, I think I would like to say this and just how like, because I think we, we all had a good time that day fishing. So I, I don't know if it was just like a welcome invitation, take us to his honey hole, so to say, like a spot he don't take people. And it was, we ended up catching three. I caught two that day and my buddy caught one. So we yeah. each, it was, it was something out of this world. It was, a, it was a pretty cool experience. Well worth it. Well worth the trip. And then that was the time I was actually targeting muskies and catching them. That's when I thought I was learning, but I still learn to this day. And the really weird part was, is we came back home. I went out the next day and used, cause I, he let me use one of his musky setups and I used one of his crankbaits and I came home and I caught like a 38 the, the next day I came home. And I sent it to, you know, the guy, to Bo, and he's like, why'd you guys even come down here? I'm like, for the experience, man. Like, <laughs> I'd be uh, mounting the rod on the wall. I'd be retiring, hanging up it, after a weekend like that. It was, but, it was, it was, yeah, to catch that many. And now there's been days here in this, I'm not going to say where, because that would be spot burning. We were in an area around my home, we'll just say. And um, crystal clear water. You could see 45 feet down to the bottom. We were floating this one stretch. It's really well known. We floated one time down it and seen 12 muskie. And they were not little ones. And I didn't have any of my muskie setups. Neither. We were bass fishing. So I didn't even, didn't even bother like throwing at them. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Not going to be that guy. And we didn't. Next day, though, I brought my muskie setup. I called my buddy. I said, hey, they're... Ooh, excuse me they're where they should be get your boat and get down here well he called his brother his brother came i ended up missing two because i don't know how to set the hook sometimes it happens but his brother caught one he caught one and it was it was pretty cool to actually see them and they stayed there to see that many and it was literally a football size field stretch it was it's without giving too much away it's one of the deeper spots in our river and there's very it's acts really how we touched the last time we talked musky like deep water with um having the ability to go to shallow water to feed that's a textbook what it was fast water into a big deep hole with shallows all on both sides of the river so that's why they were there and it just it just made sense why they were there yeah, I think it's the cool thing about river muskies as opposed to to lake muskies, which I have more experience with. Lake muskies, you know, they can really spread out. One day they can be on one end of the lake. The other day they can be on the other end. Um, you know, whereas river muskies and a lot of river fish in general, you know, yes, they move around, but there's also, it can be a little bit more predictable in the mm -hmm. river, I feel like, where they're going to be. You know, they're going to set up on certain places. Doesn't mean they're always going to be in the exact same spot, but they might be in something similar you know, to that each time you go out. That right there. The similarities are always there with muskies. There's usually, there's a couple key things. They they like deeper water, which there isn't much of it around here, so that's pretty easy to narrow it down where to go. They like creek mouse because 
it's one thing that makes this section of the river where I live so good. There's a lot of tributaries, a lot of street, uh, well, we'll call them cricks, but um, a creek or a stream as other people call them. But here in Northeast PA, we call them cricks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they stock them with trout. And that's one of the muscalunge's favorite food to eat is a trout. It's the easiest. There's no spines. It's... So that's, I think that's another reason why there's, there's so many muskie here because of all the tributaries that we have. And it, it like, that's a well-known spot to go to for muskies. You go to a creek mouth or you go to certain sets of shelves, island, a bunch of islands. Like there's all similarities when it comes to river muskies. You're, you're absolutely correct. Definitely, as you said, I wouldn't say easier, more predictable. You put it perfect. Way more predictable than a lake because I have fished lakes and it's like, I don't know what, what am I throwing at right now? I don't know what to do. I think a lot of our, our listeners have probably, if they have experience with muskie, I'm assuming that most of them probably have experience fishing for them on a boat of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you've caught a, a fair number of your muskies from shore. What are maybe some tips that you could give? on how to you know be successful in catching muskies from shore if you're not able to get out on a boat having the right gear would be first and foremost because now i have done you can catch them on bass gear and there's plenty of people that have done so it's being able so fighting a big fish from the bank takes patience knowing when to fight back that fish is another key thing because a lot of guys, they just want to reel them in right away and get them to the bank. It's not always the case. Cause I mean, obviously you're on a boat, you're moving around. It's a little bit easier to, if you got a trolling motor or that fish is going to pull you around and you're going to get to that fish a lot easier than it is on the bank. So playing that fish out in a timely manner, getting him to the bank. And it also helps. Now I've done it. The one I just recently caught was by myself. I don't know how I did it, but, the fishing gods were on my side and I landed it, but having a buddy there to help you land it or a net is key when you're on the bank targeting big fish. Uh, spots, obviously, you know, spots for rivers. You're going to want, it's the same thing with smallmouth eddies. They love slack eddies because they know other fish are there. They're in that area so they can feed on them. Creek mouse can be very creek mouse for a river. That's, you know, I know it seems repetitive and I keep saying Creek Mouse, but it, that's where a lot of fish go because they know their feeder creeks. There's a lot of bait fish coming out. There's other, all kinds of fish, trout, creek chubs, little carp. So that's, you know, patience, knowing when to fight the fish, letting him pull when he wants to pull would be key points, I would say, when it comes to landing big fish from the bank. Yeah. And like you said, you know, creek mouths, I mean, even if, you know, I know that we're not um, discussing any specific spots for obvious reasons, but, you know, like you said, the Susquehanna River, there's a lot of tributaries, there's a lot of creek mouths, and a mm -hmm. lot of them have, you know, fairly decent access around them. So, you know, if there's one near you and you're listening to this and you want to try wintertime fishing for small laser muskie, go out and try it. Yeah. You know, go out and throw some lures in it. Yes, that's the, the that's your best bet. Don't be afraid to try and fish because you never know what's going to happen. There's days you're going to be hitting your head off the wall, so to say, but there's going to be days that make it all worth it. And it's going to be like, oh, 
this is why I got my butt kicked every day for three weeks straight. Cause you're going to land that trophy fish and be like, Oh, all right. It's all worth it. Now all that misery and turmoil goes away because all your hard work paid off. But Creek mouse are definitely like, I get, I get asked that, you know, where should I go? If you got Creek mouse around you, go to them, especially when it gets, if this time of year in the winter, if it, if the water, if the river gets blown out and high, and you can find it like a mud line from the creek mouth to the river, fish that. Because when first off, when there's a stain to a water, a fish feels more comfortable and they're more prone to getting caught because they feel comfortable. They can move. They're not going to be easily seen. And if a fish can, if you can see a fish, 10 to 1, that fish can see you. So fishing that mud line, it's a very good ambush spot. That's another key thing I don't, I don't think we've touched on yet is ambush spots for fish which could be a log always fish logs in the winter because and rocks if you find a rocky bank rocks hold heat in the winter time if that sun's beating on them rocks those fish are going to be near it because it's holding heat that's another thing that is really good for winter time if you got a bank that's lined with rocks crayfish might be there now obviously they're pretty lethargic same with the fish but if there's boulders, there's going to be crayfish under them. That's a lot, a lot of times with smallies and even muskies, I've seen it. They'll have little lumps and scrapes on their heads. That's because they're beaten into them rocks for them crawfish. And people are like, all oh, these fish are all beat up. Well, they're doing it to themselves. They, they literally, like, I've seen it. I've seen fish not only running to each other because they're just that fired up, but try and flip a rock. Like, it's it's pretty wild what fish will actually do to get a meal. No, I think those are great tips for, for wintertime fishing. You know, I'm, I'm picturing some of the places that I've fished that I've been to in the wintertime or places I've thought about going as you're describing this. I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I'm going to try this now. And I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. So, no, that's all good advice. Any other um, species you like to target in the winter or any other, you know, of your favorite species from the Susquehanna River system that you have before we start to get into some of our listeners' favorite questions? Uh Dwayne, can I can I push you towards one? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I was talking your Instagram a little bit, and I want to talk about cat daddies, because the Susquehanna is filled with catfish, and it's one of those things that I don't fish for at all. And yes, I did call them cat daddies. I, but... I knew what you, I knew what you meant. It's if you want to call me daddy, it's okay. No, <laughs> um, uh, I I have beautiful children that call me that. Please don't call me that. Um. <laughs> So, yes, there is an abundance of catfish in our river. There is flatheads and channel cats. Now, lower, you'll catch some blues, but mainly channel cats in my area, channel cats, and we've been catching some bigger flatheads. Now, this might ruffle some feathers. This is a very controversial subject with the flatheads because everyone was so scared that they were going to eat all the smallmouth and the walleye. Now, obviously, I'm not a fish biologist. I don't have a degree in anything. I'm a blue collar boy that works construction. I just happen to fish a lot. And I talk to a lot of guys that have been fishing the river for 40 plus, 50 plus years. Now you go down towards Harrisburg, you know, they say the flatheads have taken over. No, the reason they're down towards Harrisburg so much is because it's deeper water, especially the big flatheads, you know, where the, the 50 pounders come out of it's deeper water. They're more comfortable. Of course, they're going to be down there. Now they're starting to come up in our area. Because, you know, a fish migratory skills are going to take over. They're going to swim upstream. 
So actually last year, which if you're interested in catching some good catfish, now I, again, don't know if you guys care about this. My buddy, I, I will send you a message. How about that? Without, you know, giving, I'll send you a message. Tyler, you can gladly give him my contact or Instagram contact me. And I can set you up with a gentleman that will put you on fish guaranteed. No, I'm not going to say guaranteed, but more than likely, you're going to have a good time. Put it that way. That sounds great. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it sounds great. I mean, you're right. I think, you know, I fished a tributary of the Susquehanna on the the lower part of the river where the river Mm -hmm. is deeper because of all the the hydroelectric dams. And, I mean, you're right. As as giant ones, they get in the the lower part of the Susquehanna. This tributary Mm -hmm. that I fish, which has much shallower water, I mean, I fish it all the time and I've only ever caught one smaller flathead, you know, and you would think that there would be lots and lots of smaller ones, but, uh, you know, one out of all the catfish that I've caught out of that have been a flathead. So yes. I, I tend to agree with you. I think they like the deeper water. You know, I think when it gets, starts to get shallower, I don't think it's impossible they, that they won't be there, but I don't know that it's their preferred habitat. Exactly. See, and, that, and then when we do catch them up here, cause we've been, He's caught last year. I caught a 20 pounder up here. He caught two 30 pounders, which are big flatheads for up here. Cause our, again, our river 12 feet. Now you go, I mean, you could go 30 miles up river and there's a hole in a town. It's actually by the town he named. Um, I think it's 20 some feet deep, but there's not very many deep holes. So you're not going to find them big fish, but you know, you, you can definitely target them. Cat, if you want to catch channel, that's one of the easiest fish to catch in the river is channel catfish. Go out with a night crawler, throw it out and let it set. You're going to, there's, in my opinion, there's too many channel catfish. <laughs> but, you know, back how I was touching on, you know, are flatheads taking over? Are they killing off other species? In my opinion, from what I've seen just in the last two years, I've caught more fish between 10 inches and 15 inches than I ever have. And that, that goes to a a local guy that has been a mentor to me. His name's Ken. He used to run the bait shop and he's, he's fished it. He hasn't seen a decline. If anything, the population is doing better, which I will, I'll touch on this subject. See what people don't realize, like, cause they were scared about carp. They said, Oh, carp are going to take over and eat everything. Well, why do you think the smallmouth are so big? It's because, it's, it's almost, it's, uh, you could call it a predatorial, I got to assert my dominance when it comes to a carp. So a smallmouth being what they are, they actually go, hand, one hand feeds the other. You, you got big carp, you're going to get big smallmouth. Now overpopulation can occur, that happens in lakes more than it does the river. You know, it can take out species, but if an ecosystem can sustain a different fish coming into it as the flatheads, the ecosystem's going to be fine. It's not going to cause any. Now, I'm not. I obviously can't see into the future. Fifty years from the road, down the road from now, yes, the flathead could have could take out everything. I, none of us know that. But from what I'm seeing, and everyone I talk to, and I talk to a decent amount of people, they have. If anything, they're helping the smallmouth get bigger because the smallmouth know, like, hey, now we're competing against another species, and yet flathead are giving off more uh they're they're you think about when they breed that's more food for smallmouth 
Now, I'm not saying that a, a flathead don't. Obviously, a flathead, they're opportunistic. They're going to eat. We've seen videos of flatheads with smallies in their mouth. Any fish is going to do that. People said the same thing about muskies with walleye. Oh, they're taking them out. Any Most of the bigger fish are predatorial. They're going to eat a fish or at least try to like flatheads do. But I don't, in my opinion, I don't think the flathead are harming the Susquehanna at this point in time. And that's just my opinion. Take it with a grain of salt. But they're fun to catch. <laughs> they so, definitely they definitely do fight hard. That's for they, sure. But, you know, you spend a lot of time out on the water. So I'll take your word yeah. for it. You know, I'll take the word of people that are out there all the time. And, you know, they get to experience what the fishery is. And, and you know, sometimes we're the first ones to start to notice those little changes if something's going wrong. Yeah, see, and that's and I, th- this is just you know based off of my experience and, and gentlemen I talk to and, and ladies I talk to anglers. Right now, we don't. I don't see any other fish species being harmed. Now, down there, there's a couple guys down Harrisburg Way that say, "Oh, there's no more smallmouth." Well, I mean, is the water the cleanest down towards Harrisburg? Yeah, that, that's, that is an issue. There's so many you know, different things that go into as to why the small mouth, small mouth are not down that way. Is the water clean? What, what does a small mouth, what kind of, where's he want to look? What's his habitat like? And a lot of it's, you know, there's a lot of power plants, you know, farm land discharge that gets put into the river. And I, I mean, that's up here too as well, but down there it's more concentrated. So it's not clean water. Fish wants to live in clean water. Catfish can, probably care less what kind of water they're living i mean look what they eat so take that into there's so many variables when it comes to why a fish isn't here is it taking over another population so it's everyone has their opinion and you're entitled to it this is just mine no you make some good points i gotta ask you real quick about tips for wintertime walleye fishing i know you have some experience with the walleye and they're a great wintertime fisher on our river so what would be some tips for targeting them time of day Time of day would be key, at least where I'm at. Now, I know guys that go out during the day and catch them. I I very rarely would do that because I know it goes back to the confidence thing. I know where they're going to be certain times a day. And it's usually, if you're lucky enough to live near a dam, any type of dam, go to that dam. Because walleye, love, it's, it's a conveyor belt. That's mainly any fish. Now, obviously... Like a bass is not going to be in moving water in the winter because it's colder. But walleye love cold water. And I've I got four dams by me that if I wanted to go catch walleye, two of them I fish almost regularly for walleye. And it's either when the sun's like an hour before the sun comes up or an hour before the sun goes down is usually my best times of day. And then into, you'll get windows. Walleye, and this is science can back me on this one because i've seen studies that they did it did in the great lakes um it's the most studied fish but the least understood fish that is the one fish that they study the most but they have no idea what it does like they have they actually tagged walleye it was one of the great lakes but one of the walleye swam 12 miles in like eight hours they have no idea why but it, it just did it like it, it and there i mean in our see we've caught walleye in the summertime 
in our section of the river, but usually the winter is when it shines because of cooler water temps. They love colder water. That's just what I've seen. And it's sun up or when the sun's going down is my best time. And it's usually next to a current seam or where there is a stoppage in the flow of the water. Yeah, I agree. I always like early morning or late evening is always the best time for me when I catch them. Although I can honestly say that I do a lot better for them in warm water than I do for cold water. I don't know why I can't figure out how to catch them in cold water, but that's something that I want to work on. Now, are you, see, that's, no, I, I mean, there's, they're not, see the bass are, and it might be because how you say that, you know, the warm water, it might be because usually at our dams where I target my walleye in the summertime, the bass are there. So that might, and they're, they're obviously a little more aggressive. Now walleye are aggressive. We all know if anyone's ever felt the strike of a walleye, it's like, what just hit my line? But that might come. You just, you just see, this is why these conversations need to happen. Cause you might've just clicked something in my brain as to why, like, Hey, that's why you're not catching any walleye right now. It's because the bass are in there feeding. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to exchange walleye notes. Yes, because my warm water notes for your cold water notes. I, I'm with it. I and I am always down like I like I, I repeatedly tell you guys I don't what I do know I know and I sure as heck don't know everything, but sometimes I, I know what I'm talking about. Well I will, you, definitely, you definitely gave us a lot of helpful tips and information, some things to think about for our river fishermen and our wintertime fishermen out there. I think we're going to start to get into some of our uh, listeners' favorite questions before we start to wrap this up. So do you have any bucket list uh, destinations to go fishing or any bucket list fish species that you want to catch? Several. <laughs> um, I would love to go to the Amazon and catch an, a true peacock bass. I want that whole experience of going over there, the culture, the just not just the fish itself, just the whole culture and being in there, being that whole experience, that would be like to go somewhere destination wise and catch a fish and be peacock bass. I would love to, now he had mentioned, this is a realm that I, I think I've done it twice. I want to fly fish and I want to catch a tarpon on a fly. That is, definitely. That, that's, that's definitely a cool experience. Yeah, that is, that is up there. And I would love to catch a golden Dorado, which it, for you viewers that, don't know what that is look it up it's they are in they're over across the pond they're in the amazon bolivia in, oh yeah there it is i i couldn't think of it yeah thank they're you awesome. i really want to get one of those yeah uh, that is that's definitely on the bucket list um a timing oh yeah that would be good timing like the giant trout that live in it's mongolia it's a giant trout is what it is. I'm sure Mr. Steelhead would love to catch one of them. Or he might have. Yep. Or... No, no, I have a friend that went and did it in Mongolia, but I was not there. He said it was wild. I, I, So I, I had no clue about them fish a couple of years ago. My buddy's like, hey, he sent me a reel actually on Instagram. He's like, check it out. I'm like, dude, that, is that a trout? Like, what is that? I had no idea. And he's like, no, it's a time. And I said, are they, are they, is that the same fish family? Is it time in a trout or is it just? I actually don't know. Um, uh, I think it's a salmonoid of some kind. Are. Yeah. Because that's, they are absolutely incredible. And I mean, and I mean, a Goliath tiger. 
would be oh, like dang- the the Goliath tiger fish that they have in Africa with the giant the giant yeah. like, dagger like teeth. Yeah, they're like see, salmon uh, the pictures of Jeremy Wade holding up. Yes, which most of hopefully most of you viewers, if you don't know who Jeremy Wade is, look him up. The man, it's the Urban man. Monsters. He's he's him. Just put it that way in the fishing industry. Um, but yeah, they are an absolutely insane fish. Looking fish. I could only imagine the fight because I I I think those episodes he had how many hooked and lost them because of their teeth. Like like that's how about, that's how about a most memorable fishing trip. And this can either be a really good experience that gave you a, a nice memory, or it could be, as Bobby likes, something that was disastrous in the moment but gave you a good laugh later on. So, uh, if if you don't care, I could do. So, most memorable would be two years ago, three years ago, I believe. Now, there's a local creek that's by us. That is absolutely like a lot of people see, you know, the smallies on my page and they, most of them are from the Susquehanna, but several of them are from a Creek. Now this Creek is put it this way. Most people in other, cause I don't know how you guys are. If you've been to different areas when they say, Hey, we got a river and you look at it and it's the size of a Creek. Like that, that's yeah. not, it's not, but I'm not throwing shade at anyone, but we see a river and we think Susquehanna. But it's a creek, but it holds awesome smallmouth. Like I've caught four and a half pounders out of it, put it that way. But me, it was a day I got home from work. Me, my fiance, and my youngest daughter, I said, babe, let's go over to this spot. It's children friendly. You just walk down. It's real open. You don't got to where it's shallow. So, And she was, I think she was six, seven, somewhere in there. But young enough to know better, to stay back from the water. But I had on a Rapala X-Wrap. And this was pre-spawn. The fish were just going off, eating anything. I had my spinning set up. I made a cast across the creek. And I handed my I handed the rod to her. I said, here, babe, just reel it straight back in. And she starts reeling it pretty slow. And all of a sudden, you see it just fold over. And she goes, dad, dad, I got it. There's actually, it's on, I don't know if it's on my Instagram. It's on my TikTok. Um. But I hand the pole to her and the old lady got the phone out and she starts recording. She's reeling this fish in and I see it, you know, I see it's fighting. I see it jump once and I'm like, oh, it's a a nice little smallie. And she's reeling and all of a sudden the rod just loads over even more. And I'm like, because there's some grassy patches there. I'm like, okay, maybe he dug down in. And I had her, I said, babe, pull back a little harder. And then I said, you can hear me in the video. I say real fast and she reels real fast and then they, it comes up. And it's like 10 feet from the bank. And I realized that she had two on the same small is on at the same time. Yes. With the X wrap. And it, 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 it's put it this way. It left me in tears, left me in shock because I've done, I did it once twice before that. And most people, I mean, there's people that have done it. Don't get me wrong, but at her age. And of course, like for you, for you viewers, you got to watch it because it's just her, she straight like threw me under the bus because before that I I think I caught one, and then I I did that to her and she she's screaming now obviously, the English is a little broken because she's younger but she's going dad I caught two and you only caught one like it was, 
And we actually have a picture of that's the picture I'm going to you guys will be able to see when he posts this. So stay tuned for that. Um, but it's literally and it would the the second one. The first one was almost two and a half pounds. The second one was almost three pounds. They were a lot bigger than I thought. And it was yeah, just that whole experience like that. I will. And I'm hoping which I'm pretty she, sure she might. I hope she remembers that because I know I for sure will remember that for the rest of my days. Because yeah, you think at, of- at that age, I would definitely be spoiled catching two smallmouth like that at the same time. Everything after that would be a disappointment. Well, that's and it's, you know, you, you look, I, I've talked to guys again. I've talked to how many people and there's guys I know that have been fishing for 50 years and haven't done that. Like I didn't do it till four years ago. I did it. I was fishing a, a jerk bait actually. And I did it. And then I did it with a Alabama rig, which is a little different, but. And I've done it with a whopper plopper. So, I mean, it's possible it happens, but it was just that young of an age. Like you don't, you know, it was pretty dang cool. And she's definitely a good memory. She's caught her, actually her personal. Now she didn't, she's learning to, now she can cast, but her, the biggest smallest she's caught is actually four pounds, four ounces. And that's, you, you say that. And most guys are like, well, dude, my PB is only like, and I'm like, yeah, she's nine. Like, (laughs) So it's, 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 I'm not saying it's a flex, but it's pretty dang cool that, you know, she's got a four pound, four ounce smallie. So oh, that's awesome. That's definitely a great accomplishment. Something to be proud of for sure. And she, like, the thing is, is like, she knows it's a big fish, but I don't think she really, like the whole, as of what she's holding when it comes to, cause obviously you ain't, you're worried about throwing rocks or picking up sticks when you're that age. Well, at least my kids are, they love playing in the Creek and the water, but yeah. So it's, that's definitely one of the most, uh, we could go on for days about great memories. Let's go, you know, you viewers want to hear the the war stories of fishing. So <laughs> me and one of my really good buddies, Casey, we, uh, actually the same Creek. Now we went up, this was dead of winter, December. We had to use, I don't know if anyone knows what real snot is, but it's a preventative to keep your eyelets from freezing. I need get to it. try that. Listen, get it. Or, I mean, if you want to, it's, I don't recommend it because it's, it wears out the line pretty quick. WD-40 also works, but it's, it causes a lot of stress and dries out your line, but get real snot. It's literally called real snot. It's a little tiny gray bottle with a green label. You can get it at Walmart. And no, I'm not affiliated with them. It's just the product that works. <laughs> um, but we, it was one of those days, you know, we were waited up thermals everything you could think of to stay warm because it's you know the there was ice along the banks but it's a limestone creek it don't freeze over just gets ice along the edges it's about 45 minutes above me and uh so we go up and there was not i check i I check the weather if you're ever gonna go fish and check the weather first and foremost let's just do that you'll thank yourself later we didn't check the weather I don't know why we were just too excited to go. And uh, so we go up and I tell him, he's like, Hey, but I can't go past like his upper thigh. Cause he had a little pinhole in his one waiter. And I said, well, don't do it because obviously like there was slush coming down the Creek. That's how cold it was. Like, and, and this Creek don't do that. And so he starts walking out there. You can see this little Ridge. We were going for trout 
And he starts walking out this little ridge and I'm a little bit below him. And all of a sudden I hear, because if, if you've ever wet weighted in a Creek, it can be pretty slippery, no matter if you have felt bottoms or not. I look back and all I see is his pull in the air and his head and like his waiter, the line of his waiters in the water. So of course I go running back up. Like it's literally, I, I don't, it was probably 20 degrees that day, let alone the water temp was 35 ish somewhere around there i go up i yank him back up i'm like what are you doing he's like well i took an extra step and and i looked down and there was actually a little tiny chute that you couldn't see and he stepped into it and it was like three feet deeper oh no hence pay attention and look at where you're waiting when you're waiting but we, we i pulled him up out and now granted this is almost an hour away from my home and we were it was long enough for my old lady to get back to the house. So I'm not going to call her and say, Hey, come get us. I said, bud, we got to get to the bank and we're in the mountains. Like there's a, there's a couple like cabins that people use, no homes, nothing like that. Hardly any reception. I I said, listen, I know you don't want to, but you got to take everything off right now. Like down to, down to your, your, your drawers, started a fire literally sat there for like an hour and a half drying his stuff out luckily his socks his pants didn't get wet too wet his shirt did a little bit but we sat and it was just one of those bad situations because he ended up getting soaked that you know it's a memory that's i won't forget but wait it gets better (laughs) so we get them all dried out we get everything back on we put the fire out another thing clean up your trash um we start walking again, start fishing. And we get up to this spot and you can see it's a nice eddy. I catch a little tiny rainbow trout, put it back in. And I told him, I said, don't walk. Like it was half frozen. I said, do not walk on that ice. Like don't. And uh, do you think he listens to me? No, he goes out on it and I hear a crack. I'm like, dude, turn around. He's like, oh, I'll be all right. I said, I'm not drying you out again. You're staying wet. It's if you fall in again, dude, like what we just went through. And I start walking down the bank a little bit and I get to a point where I can't walk the bank because it's mountainside. So I'm like half rock crawling down this mountainside and I'm probably, I don't know, a good two football fields away from him. And I hear him yelling and I knew right away, I knew what happened. I'm like this guy. And I get back up there and he's soaked. Like it went waiters and everything. Like he's like, dude, I, I almost, because anyone that has warm waders, that's the worst scenario. It goes in over your waders. It occurred with him, and luckily he got out, which I'm glad I was there because who knows what could have happened. But he got soaked once again, and then it starts to, like, a blizzard came out of nowhere. And we are, we're in the sticks, like, out in, it's back roads to get where we're at. So, and my... Old lady at time drove a little Nissan Sentra, little tiny four wheel drive car. And I said, Hey, um, do you want to come get us? And at this time there was about two, three inches on the road and I knew it was going to be bad for her. By the time she got to us, dude, it was a half a foot of snow. She couldn't find us. Finally found us. He's soaked freezing. And I'm like, if you, if this ever occurs to you, one thing you don't want to do is warm your body back up too fast because it can actually cause you to go into shock. 
So I, you know, I tell him take a layer off slowly at a time. Luckily he didn't get sick and it was a crap show. Needless to say. It just sounds miserable. It was, it was rough. And I would have made, made him start the fire the second time. Yeah. No, we, cause it was getting dark and I'm like, no, we're, we're no, you, you're worse than my kids, bud. Like we're leaving. Like, and I love the guys. <laughs> my best friend. I love the guy. His name's Casey. I love him. And there's so many great memories I could tell you guys about him, but. Yeah, that's one that's like, nah, man. If it's stupid, it's a stupid dog kind of things. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, we all had moments like that. Yeah. Right? And it's you, you, you look back at them and you're like, it was worth it. It's a, it's a great memory. Like, yeah, it was, it was rough at the time, but you live and learn, man. You laugh about it later. Yeah, absolutely. And we still do. We still do. Well, Bobby, anything else before we start to wrap this up? No, I think we should wrap it up. But for any of those listeners who want to play a drinking game, I think this one was sponsored by Creek Mouths, which I know <laughs> it's a very good spot to fish. But yes. it's also a great drinking game for this episode, I believe, because that was the topic and the place that everyone should fish, apparently. And I love it. Thank you, Dwayne. Hey, I appreciate you guys having show man i yeah no problem we appreciate you being on you know i know that you have these river fisheries dialed in gave us a lot of good tips and tactics for wintertime fishing and for many of our freshwater fisheries here in pennsylvania so we appreciate that and and before we wrap up um please let our listeners know where they can find you on social media i know we've talked about your instagram and you've mentioned about your tiktok a couple times so it is real in the adventures on 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 all so I have a Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. It's just real in the adventures for all three of them at real in the adventures, real, like R E E L I N T H E adventures. Simple as that. Come hang out. I go live this summer. You will live on TikTok fishing. I go live here at home. We have some fun, but yeah, Instagram, you'll see. Don't be afraid to say what's up or Hey, try this. Or if you got a question, don't be afraid to message me. That's closed mouth. This is another how we were going off our grandpas, what they used to tell us. Closed mouth don't get fed. So don't be afraid mm-hmm. to ask. You know, right. even if you think it's not a smart question, the only dumb question is a question that don't get asked. So ask ever and don't ever I'm gonna end on this. Just because you think you know and you like say, now I'm 35. This happened to me last year. There was a young kid that came down. He was probably late teens. But he's fishing. And he was, what he was doing was was working. I wasn't fish. And he said, hey, I forget exactly what he was doing. He was bouncing his tube. He was snapping. They call it snapping your tube. And I never really, because around our, they do it more in lakes. Snapping your tube, for those that you guys don't know, is literally letting your tube settle on the bottom and giving it a good yank. And it it's causes reaction strikes from, from small mouth. And that's what he was doing. Now, I don't, I don't, I still don't to this. I should have asked him. I don't know if he was intentionally doing it, but I started doing it and it worked. But that just, the point I'm trying to make is don't be afraid to ask anyone of any age a question about fishing because we're here. Now you're going to meet some guys that are not going to share their secret tips or baits. 
but majority of the time you're going to meet some pretty cool anglers and share some stories and learn some new stuff. So, yeah, again, I appreciate you guys for having me on the show. Like it's, it's pretty dang cool. You guys are doing a great thing and you're doing phenomenal work. So keep it up, man. Well, and you, maybe, maybe one day we can all, we got to obviously get together at that mysterious, we'll call it lake. <laughs> I, I don't We got to do it. We got to do it. We got to, you and I live too close together to yeah. uh, to not go fish together. So we got to organize something and get out there sometime. Mr. Steelhead, since you and I have not done that, that would be a good time. I got you on the fly game if you ever want to. I, buddy, I, I got a buddy that does it, and I realized the power of a fly really quickly when it comes to trout fishing alone, let, let alone yep. going out. Like, it's it's insane. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we'll connect after this. Don't you worry. All right, buddy. Sounds good. Well, it sounds great, Dwayne. Thanks again for being on the episode. And ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap up another great episode of the Tide Chasers podcast. We thank you for tuning in. Make sure to give Dwayne a follow on TikTok and Instagram. Check out his fish and all of his tips and tactics for river fishing for smallies, muskie, and more. And uh, please give us a follow and subscribe as well. And until the next episode, tight lines, everybody. Yeah.